Our scripture today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, the fourth chapter, the 18th through 25th verses, and the ninth chapter, the 35th to 38th verses. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. And Jesus called to them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. This is the word of our Lord. Let's go ahead and throw up the slide here that we have. Do y'all notice the similarity between Matthew 4.23 and Matthew 9.35? They're almost identical. You probably noticed that as Craig was reading it. Jesus went throughout Galilee on verse 4.23. Uh, 9.35, Jesus went through all their towns and villages. And then what was he doing? Teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel, the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. What's going on here? Why does Matthew think that he needs to say this twice? Does he think his audience just didn't get it the first time? Does he think that we, his, his readers down the road, just really aren't smart enough? So he has to give it to us again? I don't think so. Because as we read Matthew 5, 6, 7, 8, and the first part of 9, we see Jesus doing exactly these things. Jesus is going here and there and everywhere. He's teaching. He's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. He's healing every disease and sickness. It's going around all these places. What we have here when you take your course in biblical studies is what Bible scholars call an inclusio, sort of a sandwich. Anybody here ever eat a sandwich? <laughs> what, what's on the bottom of a sandwich? What's on the top of a sandwich? And what's in between? Not bread. So what we have here is sort of a sandwich. We have the piece of bread there at Matthew 4.23 and the next piece of bread at 9.35. And these two pieces of bread hold the section together. 
So by putting it here twice, what Matthew is saying is pay attention to this section as a whole. Don't just pick out a verse here or there. Don't just pick out a, a chapter and just read that. But pay attention to this whole section. Matthew wants us to read it together. But why? Well, what was Jesus doing before Matthew 4.23? Well, he's going along there by the Sea of Galilee, and he sees a couple of guys, and he walks up to them, a guy named Peter and, and, and a guy named Andrew, and he says, hey, guys, y'all want to come to church with me Sunday? Well, no, that's not what he said. Uh, they'd say, hey, y'all want to go to heaven when you die? Well, no, he didn't say that. How about, I know y'all are sinners. Do you, you want to get forgiven? He doesn't say that either. Jesus says, come follow me, and I'll make you fish for people. He does that to, to Peter and Andrew, and then he comes across James and John, who are also in that same vicinity, says the same thing to them, and they follow him. Now, some of y'all know what it is to fish, right? I know some of y'all really like to go fishing. Some of y'all, I bet, you, you get your rod and, and, and you bait the hook and you throw it out there, and you're really happy when something bites it, like a tasty fish, and you pull it in, and then you fix it and you eat it, right? That's what you do with fish, right? You know that. Maybe a few of you are the type of fishermen, you get a net and you throw it out there and, and you get a whole bunch of fish and you bring them in and again, you fix them and you eat them or, or you sell them to hungry people. So what's Jesus telling these guys? Come follow me and I'll make you fish for people. Oh, bring your nets with you because we're going to have to bring those nets. We're going to throw those nets over people and we're going to haul them in and we're going to prepare them and we're going to eat them. No, 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 not that. If I'm Peter and Andrew and James and John, I might be wondering here when Jesus calls me, what am I getting myself into? What exactly is this fellow talking about? What's it going to look like? Purpose of this section that follows that, this part that's included here between the bread of 423 and 935, is to show them learning what it is to be fishers of people learning what it is to do what Jesus called them to do. Now, you notice that even though they lacked understanding of what Jesus was talking about, they got up and followed him anyway. Some of us are going to have that challenge. Some of you even today might hear the voice of Jesus calling you. And you might hear Jesus saying, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of people. And you might have to say, Lord, I'm not sure I know what I'm getting myself into, but I trust you, so I'm going to try it anyway. 
And then right after this, we, we, we start it in Matthew chapter 5. And, and anybody remember what Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is known as? Well, you have the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount. And what's Jesus doing in the Sermon on the Mount? He's teaching and preaching exactly what he said he was going to do in 423 and 935. He's going around teaching, going around preaching. We get to chapter 8 and chapter 9, and he starts healing people. Jesus in these chapters is shown doing exactly these things. But what's he do after this section, after 935? Well, he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. We need some workers, Lord. Need some people that are going to do this stuff to go out and reach those people. Who's that going to be? Well, and as a church, we know exactly what we need to do, right? Jesus said, have a prayer meeting. So we'll have a prayer meeting and say, oh, Lord, please raise up some people. But that's not what happens here. What we see happening after this is in Matthew chapter 10. We see Jesus calling his 12 disciples to him, and he gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. And we see Jesus sending the disciples out to do exactly these things. How would you respond if you're one of those disciples that's told to do those things? Would you say, uh, uh, but Jesus, I thought that was your job. You're the Messiah. You're the prophet. You're the Savior. So why don't you go do that Messiah stuff? And, and, and we'll just sort of hang out. We'll have a prayer meeting for you, Jesus. We'll be praying for you the whole time, Jesus. I can imagine them making that kind of excuse. But then maybe it's worth our asking, what are these guys getting themselves into again? They're becoming disciples. One meaning of the word disciple is student. Y'all notice when, when uh, I do the prayer time, I, I, I make some comment about as students of Jesus. What do you do if you're a student? You learn. These guys are learning from Jesus. Or another translation of this word could be apprentice. One difference between student and apprentice is we can imagine a student who just learns stuff and puts it in here. And then they take the test and it all sort of gushes out on the paper and it's gone. Any of y'all ever taken that class? <laughs> I've taken that class. I've taught that class. But if you're an apprentice, you're not just learning stuff to go in your head. You're learning stuff to do. Notice who is with Jesus in Matthew 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9. It's these disciples. 
These disciples that he's called to become fishers of people. They're watching him. They're learning from him. They're seeing exactly what it looks like to do this work. And they're learning how to do it. Sometimes in church we use this word discipleship. And sometimes by that we mean nothing more than having Sunday school classes or Bible studies. I like having Sunday school classes. Any, any of y'all like going to Sunday school? A few of y'all. I like having Bible studies. Anybody like going to a Bible study? Man, that's good. I like learning all that. But there's more to discipleship than putting stuff in our heads. What Jesus was offering these disciples was life transformation. Not just information, plenty of information, sure. But life transformation, life change. And that's the kind of thing that can't happen if we limit it to only what happens in this space and in this time. It's something that happens today as Christians spend time with each other, as we challenge each other, as we provoke each other, as we follow around and attach ourselves to those who are more mature than we are, more skilled than we are in some area, so we can learn from them. There's something else here. You notice that after the second piece of bread, Matthew 9:35, it's it says something about Jesus and the crowds. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Have you had that experience yet? Many years ago, I was serving another church, and the church at that time had a very small youth group, maybe three or four kids, all church kids, and youth meetings seemed to be mostly sitting around and staring at each other and saying, what do you want to do? I don't know, what do you want to do? I don't know, what do you want to do? Does anybody want to go to that? Anybody want to do that? that? That doesn't grab you. That doesn't move you. So one of the things I did was I drove out to one of the school campuses. And I sat in the parking lot in my car back, back when you're still allowed to do that kind of thing. And I was praying for the students and for the school. And when I saw the students getting out of school at the end of the day, I had that experience. I saw the students then as, there as harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Somehow the Spirit was working in me to enable me to see those kids as God saw them in a way similar to how Jesus saw this crowd. They were like sheep without a shepherd, harassed and helpless. You see, I think that's Jesus' motivation in coming to us. 
Sure, Jesus was called by the Father, the Son was called by the Father to become one of us, to enter the world, to live, to die, to rise again. But I don't think the Son's response to the Father was, well, okay, Dad, if that's what you want me to do, I'll do it. But I think the Son looked at us and he saw us, saw us in our sin, saw us in our brokenness, saw us in, in our helplessness, saw us being harassed by the forces of darkness in the world. Jesus said, I'm going. You can't hold me back. Seeing us, seeing humans for what we are, and loving us is what motivated him. And as we see Jesus and the disciples going around together, the disciples aren't just learning how to do what Jesus did, not just learning to have the ideas that Jesus had. The disciples are learning to see people as Jesus sees them. So when Jesus looks at the crowd and he sees them, is harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. The idea is that the disciples themselves learn to see people that same way. There's something else going on here too. When we look at the early part of Matthew chapter 9, we see that Jesus isn't just doing literally these things. But there's one other thing he does comes across a guy sitting at a tax collector's booth. Any of y'all in a hurry to go talk to a tax collector? Any of y'all really excited that IRS is getting another $80 billion? Jesus goes by the tax collector's booth. And he sees this guy here named Matthew. He didn't get up in Matthew's face and Wag his finger at him. You're going to hell, you sinner. All we see Jesus say to him is, come, follow me. Because I believe Jesus saw even Matthew as one of those that's harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Peter and Andrew, James and John and any of the others around, they would have probably said, uh, Jesus, we don't need that guy. We have us fishermen. We have us plumbers and electricians and teachers, and we have these other good people. We don't need somebody like Matthew. But Jesus in this whole section is teaching the disciples to see people the way he does. Do you see the people around you? I'm not just saying, do, you, do, you, do your eyeballs work? Do you see them? Do you, do you see in them what God sees? Do you see that, that they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd? Is your heart broken for them as God's heart was broken for them when he sent his son Jesus? That's something we can do today. Today, we can say, Lord, break my heart. Lord, open my eyes so that when I see people, I love them like you do. Lord, when I see people, let me see them 
in their need and let me love them. We can also spend time in the Word. So we spend time in the Word. We don't just see commands, but we see the heart of God shared here. We see the heart of God loving people, sinners, broken people, harassed people, people who don't like us, people who are enemies. And yet God loves them. And as we spend time in the Word, we get that perspective of God on people. Another thing we can do is hang out with other people who see people Jesus' way. To hang out with those who are passionate to share Jesus. To hang out with people who love others without discrimination. But just a heart full of love. For me, one of the things that influenced me in this direction was some of the music I listened to. Back when I was a young Christian in college, one of the musicians I listened to was Keith Green. I don't know if any of y'all ever heard of Keith Green. He was a musician prophet who died in an airplane crash about 40 years ago. And the song that he wrote that grabbed me the most was Asleep in the Light. Some of the words go like this. Do you see? Do you see all the people sinking down? Don't you care? Don't you care? Are you going to let them drown? How can you be so numb not to care if they come? You close your eyes and pretend the job's done. Or in another line, the world is sleeping in the dark. Have you ever gotten an idea looking at the world around you, reading the news, watching the news, that the world is asleep in the dark? They don't know what's happening. But the next line goes like this, that the church just can't fight because it's asleep in the light. How can you be so dead when you've been so well fed? You can hear he's a prophet there. He's not the preacher, the teacher that's going to come along and say, oh, let's just all be nice together. He's saying people are in desperate need. What are we going to do? So today, as we seek to be disciples of Jesus, as we seek to be his students, as we seek to be his apprentices, I'm challenging you to let him break your heart for people, to let him break your heart for the people around you, even the people that annoy you, even the people that pester you, even the people that you're absolutely sure are totally wrong. That God will break your heart for them. I've heard something about Hardy being a church with what kind of heart? Warm heart. Now, y'all know that having a warm heart is more than just eating together, right? I really like that about Hardy. I like that we're an eating church. Of course, I'll need to be an exercising church too, but I like it that we're friendly. I like it that people come in here on their first visit, feel like it's at home. But this being a church with a warm heart, I hear that and I rejoice because it sounds to me like y'all want to be those people who allow God to break your heart for people. 
to love not just each other, not just the people you've grown comfortable with over the decades, but the people that might be running away from God now. So in just a moment, we're going to sing our final song. It's, it's one of those songs, just, just basically a one-liner. It's called, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, Look Full in His Wonderful Face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim. Strangely, if we look at Jesus, the world grows dim. Yeah, there's truth to that. I'm going to ask us to sing it twice. Once that way, but once another way, changing one of those words. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely clear in the light of his glory and grace. Because as we spend time with him, as we let him break our hearts, we'll see people, we'll see things as they really are. So whether you stand and sing or not isn't a big deal. But if you're here today and you want to let God break your heart for people, I invite you to come to this altar and say, Lord, do it. Lord, open my eyes, open my heart. Let's stand and sing.